We're meeting the animals helping improve mental health well-being this week. I've put a combination of oats and barley into my hand and he's eating out of it. Um, he's loving it. Yes, more from uh, Lily's day on the farm later. Also, we're at the Hutchinson Open Day discussing cover crops and direct drilling in the week. And Kit has the open field update soon. Has it been a busy week or just a windy one, Kit? It's windy. Uh, I think Brexit is keeping the market busy. Uh, but otherwise, uh, farmers have had a week off due to poor weather, really, uh, and, and, and good progress before that. All right, yeah, Kit's full report a little later. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. Good morning. We've uh, mentioned direct drilling and cover crops quite a bit over the years here on the programme, and it was very much the topic of discussion at the Hutchinson's Open Day in the week. It was held on the farm of Ed Pritchard at Bardney, and Andrew Ward was there with Ed. We started looking at cover crops uh, about four years ago, our soil types at Red House at Waddingworth are, um, we've got all sorts really. We uh, originally started looking at cover crops um, to help to enable us to successfully uh, go spring drilling. We, we, we struggle with black grass and we've tried drilling winter wheat later in the year into November uh, and we always felt we were getting too much of a yield penalty. We've taken the view that the ultimate delayed drilling is spring drilling, um, but to to be able to do that successfully um, without overwinter ploughing, which I don't think is quite the right way to be going about it, we've found that cover crops is enabling us to do that. Um, And and on your blackgrass levels, what sort of levels have you got? uh, I couldn't give you a square metre plant per square metre but it was fairly high yeah. and we, we have got it down to a man what I feel is manageable and how long have you has it taken to get down to the manageable levels three four years right yeah mixture of hand roguing uh, avidex application we're applying avidex off the back of the drill so cover crops in the ground what sort of cover crops are you putting in our cover crops that we use year in well for the last couple of years is a mixture of white mustard crimson clover and phacelia uh, we get on very well with that. It's a manageable crop to look after. And are you mixing those yourself? No, we are by last couple of years. It's been bought in from Boston Seeds, yep. so it comes to us in a hectare packs. Tip it in the tip it in the rape seeder, and off we go. And what about any deep rooted fodder radishes or anything like that? This year, obviously, with Hutchinson's cover crop demonstration, mm-hmm. we've had that on the farm. Uh, we've also had grazing mixes on the farm as well, which we've been having a play around with. But no, for our own cover crop so far, it's just been the three species that I just mentioned. Um, I think we will probably start to change that around a little bit. Unfortunately, the farm we have at Lincoln, I've just started finding a bit of club root over there in the rape, so I'm going off the mustard. It's interesting because I've got a field at Lednam, started this five years ago with cover crops and direct drilling, but I'm finding uh, on heavy land it's a completely different picture to light land. You know, yeah. what will work on one won't necessarily work on the other. Yeah. And I think your soil does change over time. And are, are yeah. you finding this soil's changing yes. over the years? Yeah. When um, I've been at home now about 10 years, um, well, no longer than that actually, um, and when I first came home, we were what I would regard as a, um, a traditional full cultivation system. Yeah. Plant the plows in the rotation big set of old discs, big old subsoiler, power harrows, what you would expect on most. Everything I don't like. Yeah, everything (laughs) I don't like as well. Um, Since then, we've seriously reduced our cultivations. Um, Rule of thumb, a shallow cultivator. uh, At the minute, that's a Simba Express. 
followed by a Tilso ultralight. And, and do you do that in the autumn? But we'll do that as soon as we can possibly do it. As soon yeah. as the combine or the muck spreaders out the field, mm. we'll be in there. Because I find on my own, I've had to uh, um, establish the cover crop with a bit of cultivation, prior cultivation, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and then it enables the spring crop to have a bit of friable tilth Correct. and soil yeah. with it. Are you finding the yeah. same? I think um, with our current drill, we've had to start rapid, cracking drill, maybe not quite the answer for the spring drilling but we're all still playing we're all still learning um, but I think producing that seabed in the autumn putting that cover crop into it as you say Andrew gives you that bit of friable yeah. material yeah. then to drill into in the spring As said Pritchard host of that Hutchinson's Open Day on Wednesday Horsch were there as well Gareth Burgess with his Avatar Direct Drill. Is there a, more of a market for them now, though? Yes, we are. We're seeing there's more of a more of an emphasis placed on soil health, um, and it's a whole it's a different mindset we're starting to see, which yep. involves um, perhaps shallower, fewer cultivations, um, more cultural cultivations, and also the use of cover crops in, incorporated within a rotation. Um, both to improve soil health and also to try and uh, reduce weed burdens and pressures in that respect. So obviously soil health is a buzzword. We're all looking as farmers, progressive farmers, we're trying to do that. And I think as an, as an open day, as a demonstration here, having we're all farmers here and trying to achieve the same end result and having it here. Do you mind coming with, with other manufacturers here in sort of who's in competition with yourselves? No, not at all. I think, um, I think we can work together and learn from each other yes it's obviously we're all out here to, to try and sell sell our own machines but I do think it's uh, that there should be enough respect had between everybody and we can, we can all work together to try and to yeah. try and learn more because I think on my own farm I'm trying this system I've been in one field for five years and obviously we have two different soil types as you know but a, a drill I think there's a, there's a place on the farm for all this equipment different soils on different require different um, cultivation systems and different drills yes and it's it's a lot down to the farm's preference themselves some some people will adopt we said just a minute ago it's about down to mindset a different mindset will require a different solution um, and i think that's what um, that's what we're all trying to offer so, so on sales of, of these type of drills what are your sales like figures wise are your sales of these type of direct drills compared to say uh, your pronto drill or something like that what's it like um, sales of the direct drills uh, are going up um, and also there's certain trends we're noticing so for example there's more sales for grain and fertiliser drills um, across the board we're seeing more, more emphasis placed on grain and fertiliser and also um, specifications are also including for variable rate applications and, and technology is a, a big buzz thing when people are buying machines the specification they like to be future proof with, uh, with machines um, but yes yeah, sales, sales are certainly increasing from a direct drilling point of view and this particular machine we're stood in front of now uh, four meter direct drill disc drill uh, on the farm price roughly I know it depends on spec but rough price of this 60,000 yeah and, and as I say the price of machinery is, is quite alarming isn't it but there's a lot of technology in this kit now the, there's a lot of technology and it's um, it's designed to last an awful long time as well yes um, so if, it's, if that cost spread over a 10-12 year purchase plan um it's uh, people who want to be investing in premium products to start with, so it does last that duration. Gareth Burgess there from Horsch with Andrew Ward, clearly in the wind, as you could hear. 
On to agronomy and our crop doctor, Sean Sparling. Sean, uh, what are your views on uh, cover crops? Morning. Yes, morning, Sean. Uh, well, you know, it's just like any other system within agriculture or in the wider world, really. Um, understanding how they work is absolutely fundamental to their success. So going along to this sort of meeting is crucial because it's not necessarily the fundamentalists, the, the evangelists who wave their hands in the air and point at you and laugh if you're not doing cover crops because they simply cannot understand why everybody isn't doing it. The people to talk to are the farmers and the growers out there who've been trying cover crops for a number of years, who are persevering with them but who are making mistakes and go to this sort of meeting to find out what they're doing wrong and if they can do those things better. Because those people, if they are persevering with a cover crop system, there must be a benefit otherwise they wouldn't be doing it. And just like anything else in life, the most experienced people are the ones you want to talk to and they are the people who've made the most mistakes because they've learnt from those mistakes. So we see so far because we stand on the shoulders of giants has never been truer than it is with cover crops. There's a lot of myth about them, there's a lot of uh, mystery about them, but talk to the people who are doing it, talk to the people who are making mistakes, talk to the people who are persevering because they have seen a benefit. It's worth understanding how much these things are going to cost, what the mixtures themselves are going to cost, what the impacts to following crops are going to be, what you're trying to achieve with a cover crop, what you need in that mixture to achieve what you want to achieve, what equipment you're going to need, what the extra spend is. All of those things need to come into play. As an agronomist, I need to understand whether my pre-emergence herbicides, if I'm on black grassland, are still going to work if they're being put onto a thatch of vegetation which is left behind after the cover crop. Talk to people if you're on heavy land about the implications of a wet autumn on a cover crop and how that holds you up to going and drilling. So there are so many facets that need to be looked at, but talk to the people who have tried and failed but who are persisting with it because they're probably the ones that will give you the most realistic um, overview of the whole system. People like Jake Freestone, Overbury Farms, number one farmer Jake on Twitter, he's probably as much an expert as you could possibly wish to meet on this. The whole system down there is built around cover crops and they've got all the kit, all the equipment, all the system running in tandem with it. So worth talking to these people but also make sure you talk to the people who are having a go and carrying on because they see some sort of benefit in it. Um, Now let's move on to agronomy. Let's start with winter cereals. The weather this week has been too windy, too wet to go out and do anything on the land. We can't top dress, we can't fertiliser spread, we can't drill, we can't cultivate. So we're just watching these crops gradually green up and they have been doing beautifully this week as a result of warming soils, a bit of moisture, we've got mineralisation, release of nitrogen and phosphorus and potash and sulphur and manganese and magnesium and zinc and molybdenum and all of those things from the labile pools within the soil, the crops are starting to pick them up and they're greening up. The ones that got applied a bit of nitrogen before the weather broke have greened up quicker than the others, but even those which didn't get any nitrogen before the weather broke the mineralisation, the mineralised nitrogen is now starting to show. And crops were changing almost overnight. Wednesday to Thursday, I have a field of winter barley near me that looked gold as a guinea on Wednesday. And it was really looking quite green as the new growth started to overtake the old by Thursday afternoon. So an awful lot of good stuff going on. Disease levels, they're not really moving particularly quickly out there in the field. Septoria, yellow rust, brown rust, easy enough to find if you look for it. Mildew, not really setting off yet this spring, really probably too cold. But once it warms up with the moisture we've got, that could be an issue as well. 
So thoughts are turning to the T0 fungicide. Remember with T0, if you drill wheat early, your disease pressure is going to be much, much higher than those people who drill late in October and November. So even if you've got a relatively clean variety, for goodness sake, have a look at it and make sure you're not losing the battle. And also remember the T0 is not compulsory. You're not going to get kicked out of the club if you don't put a D0 fungicide on. It is a management tool. Speak to your advisor. You know your crops, you know the varieties, you know the fields. Look at them and assess them. Because remember, leaves one, two, three and four are crucial to yield. They're going to contribute most to yield. So until you get growth stage 30, which is when the distance from the top of the basal node to the tip of the ear is one centimetre in a cereal crop, that's growth stage 30. That is when leaf four is beginning to be uh, emerged and that is the, the technical timing for T0. Now if you've got a backward crop and you use a strob plus chlorthalonil and chlorthalonil that multi-site inhibitor is probably the key to the whole protection process because that's all you're trying to do with T0, protect the canopy going forward um, and it's a management tool. But the strob on a backward crop will encourage hunger uh, roots. It'll encourage the crop to scavenge for nitrogen, so it'll green and thicken up a backward crop. The insertion of a growth regulator in a T0 on a backward crop will encourage tillering. On a forward crop, will also encourage tillering. And if you've got six, seven or eight tillers, you probably don't need any more. So question whether you need to do that. But it isn't compulsory. It is a management tool. Talk to your agronomist about it. Um, all seed rape, light leaf spot levels are definitely increasing and we're starting to see um, it's not that difficult to find when you walk around in fields. And remember, we only have protection against light leaf spots, so it's important you're on top of that. And for people who are saying, well, I've got cabbage stem flea beetle hit, pigeon hit rape, do I need to spend any more money on it? You've already spent 90% of what you're going to spend on that crop. If you've decided to keep it, the answer to that question is probably yes, you should put something cheap and cheerful on. It doesn't have to be expensive, but try and keep on in control of that light leaf spot because that can do an awful lot of damage going forward similarly with sclerotinia and as far as pollen beetle goes haven't seen anything out there in the field to warrant even considering spraying them please work to thresholds don't just apply an insecticide because you're going through with a fungicide that's irresponsible and you will do way more harm than you will good 80 percent of the insects in a rape canopy are beneficial so unless you need to use an insecticide don't if you do need one work to thresholds and target them accordingly with the correct uh, insecticide which is kind to the non-targets. Um, now, there's been very little sugar beet put in, no linseed in, no peas in, we've got beans in but not up, spring barley, spring wheat coming up and through the ground, a few aphids about, a little bit of bulb fly about. There's nothing you can do for bulb fly, whether it be in wheat or spring cereals. You can only roll and put early nitrogen on and keep your fingers crossed. That that's the way it's going to solve the problem because there is nothing chemically you can do about it. So, um, let's hope that we get a much more benign wheat next week and we start to get some land work done um, because we are pushing forward. Uh, fingers crossed indeed. Thanks Sean. Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services. We'll have the latest grain report from Open Field in a moment but first you might remember last week I mentioned the rumour that no shipments of grain for export is being booked through Ipswich from March the 29th because of uncertainty over tariffs with Brexit. Well after another very turbulent Brexit week in Parliament it was actually raised in the Commons this week by Suffolk MP James Cartledge. Arable farming, wheat, will be set with a nil import tariff. Now, this is not a minor detail in South Suffolk, Mr Speaker, because I can confirm to the House there are currently no shipments of wheat booked out of the port of Ipswich after the 29th of March. Not Project Fear, absolute reality. And the reason is because the WTO tariff on wheat 
is 95 euros a tonne, 80 pounds. The max you can get for milling wheat, 180 pounds. Nobody is going to buy that. Even if we get quota, it's 12 euros a tonne. But we won't get quota because guess what? Under that WTO, which we control, we may have come to deal with the EU on quota, but New Zealand, our other friends in the Commonwealth, Australia and the United States are protesting against it in the WTO. Because this ain't no panacea. People have to understand about the WTO. MP James Cartledge. So, what are the latest prices? Let's get the latest from Kit Dickinson at Open Fields. Good morning, Sean. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. Where should we begin, Kit? Um, looking at the wheat market this week, the futures have been up and down and currently are £1 up overall on the week. This has been down to Brexit negotiations and fluctuations in the pound. Feed wheat continues a downward trend and milling premiums have started to reduce, although market reports suggest consumers will need to take cover on old crop. Demand is sending positive signals to the market. Maybe it's time for the fund shorts to lock in in some profits, with limited volume being offered at current price levels. As I said, milling premiums continue to decline after the recent hike with consumers having good cover going forward. If you still have milling wheat on farm, it is worth getting prices from your open field farm business manager while the premiums are still there. New crop prices have increased slightly this week, and £150 X for May can now be achieved. So it's worth keeping track of these prices, and if they continue to increase, you may be able to make 150 x the farm pre-Christmas. Oilseed rape. Since my last broadcast on the radio, oilseed rape has dropped quite dramatically in price. But not all is lost as we have gained £10 back from the lows and can now achieve 300 x the farm, x the store for May. Fresh news from Germany. Uh, German farm co-ops have forecast Germany's 2019 oilseed rape crop will fall by 13% on the year to 3.19 million tonnes. Continued news like this could see our oilseed rape price improve. Most of the oilseed rape in Lincolnshire has received its first dose of fertiliser and has been washed in by over an inch of rain in the last 10 days and are looking in good conditions. But it is still only the middle of March and there is a long way to go before harvest. Barley. It's come to a grinding halt in the last five weeks, seeing the feed barley price drop by circa £30 a tonne. All barley exports were executed for Jan, Feb and March, i.e. pre-Brexit, and the unknown of April, May and June has not seen anything on the books so far. We've also seen a lot of malting barley reduced to feed, which hasn't helped the feed-based price. There are still many sellers of barley, but very, very few buyers in the current market. The likelihood is this will change in April, with buyers coming to the market. The question is, where will the price be? At the moment, April price has the potential to be anywhere between 135 and 155 x with so a £20 difference is quite large. But in this volatile environment, these prices could change at any point. Prices this week. Feed wheat for March is 156 to 158 but most homes now do have cover. May is 160 to 162. New crop harvest off the combine 140 to 142. November 143 to 145. Current milling premiums on old crop 19 to 21 pounds. Oilseed rape is 296 to 298 for March, and as I said earlier, making 300, possibly 302 for May. Harvest off the combine 292 to 295. And November coming back up to the all-important 300 figure, X the farm. Barley, March 130 to 135, but there is no carry going forward in the market, as I explained earlier, and malting premiums 
are in the region of 25 to 30 pounds. Thanks, Kit. That's uh, Kit Dickinson at Open Field. A farm in Frisney, which helps anybody living with mental health issues, has just received a share of half a million pounds. The Asfield Project encourages people to spend time with the animals and in the great outdoors to help improve their well-being. They've just been given over £40,000 of National Lottery Community funding to help with costs. We sent Lily Keane to the farm. We'll hear from the owners in a moment, but first, as Lily was there, she had to feed the animals. So I'm just feeding one of these goats and um, I've put a combination of oats and barley into my hand and he's eating out of it. Um, he's loving it and I can see why this puts people in a great mood because it's, you know, it's great to be able to help the animals and, and be with them. It's a very peaceful atmosphere out here. And uh, if you could tell me about this goat as well then. OK, we've got a mother and daughter here. This is Willow. She is a Golden Guernsey cross with an alpine and she's uh, her kid is then crossed with a sarnan. So beautiful beautiful color just lovely natured goats we're really really happy with them <laughs> that was uh, hannah blevins there speaking with lily Keane. hannah and chris blevins run the project well we um gave up our jobs in 2006 and came and bought a field as you do uh, um and we started a small holding from scratch it was really to give our children the freedom that we both had when we were children and from that that it progressed from there to encouraging other people to come and help use the site so we had prisoners from north sea camp came and found immense benefit from being outside and doing something useful and from that the care farming came up so we decided to go go for the care farming and why is it so important to you know, be able to help these people and, and just encourage people to be in, in the outdoors? Well, the difference that we've seen already in the clients that we've had in the last 18 months has been phenomenal. And just being outside, being with the animals, being part of something, being in a community or a family has made a massive difference to a lot of people. And we've, we're realising how much benefit there is and how big this could be, really. And what's the reaction been like then from from these people? Have they come to you and said, you know, how great it's been, you know, in terms of their mental health and just being outside? Well, we've got several clients who has made a massive impact on their life. One in particular who came to us in October 2017, who was very suffering very badly from PTSD and depression. Uh, he's now training to be a counsellor, and he's got a job with uh, Ad Action in Skegness. So that's massive. That's a massive bonus. There's another, another young lad who didn't talk when he came. He has um, autism, didn't speak, and now he talks to everybody. So that's also amazing. It's a real testament, isn't it, to, to what you guys do. So can, can one of you tell me then sort of what's on offer at, at the farm then? You know, what, what animals do you have? What can people come and see and get involved in? OK, so we're, we're only a small holding. It's not a particularly big farm, but we are a working farm. So we do have... Uh, about 25 sheep which is coming up to lambing so we have a, a that's our excitement over easter we have some chickens for eggs ducks we have a donkey and a horse who really do little more than our petting animals we've got a couple of goats that's the well, livestock side or ferrets we've got some ferrets there's a rabbit coming as well I didn't tell you that somebody's donated a rabbit anyway never mind uh yeah, so then we have our growing area. So we have a, a polytunnel, so if the weather's inclement or it gets some early things in the ground, we can start and grow our own vegetables, our own flowers. And then we have a planting out area for more vegetable production. And this year we're building a sensory garden. So all of our visitors and people who are welcome on the site will get involved in a, either a big or small way in creating that sensory garden and enjoy looking after that sensory garden. There's a massive amount of um, university-level research gone into the benefits of people with mental health interacting with animals and we've seen ourselves that you may be angry or annoyed or frustrated one day but if when the sheep comes and 
interacts with you or just lets you stroke its head. That's you can see the sort of the, the tensions washing away from people, and we take it for granted because we've done it for ten years. But the people who've never done it before very very quickly feel at home and feel warmer and at peace in just moving around the animals. It's amazing. It's really amazing. Oh, fascinating to hear what they're up to there. Just a good project as well. Chris and Hannah Blevins on the farm at Frisney chatting with our Lily. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Yes, on to the week ahead then. And uh, despite still being quite a breezy day today, maybe some showers, we are expecting high pressure to build from the southwest, which will calm things down for the coming week. So lighter winds, some sunshine on Monday, bit of cloud on Tuesday, but those temperatures will climb as the week continues. Today and tomorrow, we're looking at seven or eight, the high. Maybe as low as freezing point first thing tomorrow morning because of clear skies and uh, the wind from the west today gusting around 20 miles an hour. Those winds carry on from the west, southwest through the week, nearer 10 to 15 miles an hour. But as I say, those temperatures will rise. 12 by Tuesday, could be maybe 14, 15, even 16 by the middle and the latter end of the week. And overnight lows start around 5 after the cold snap tomorrow morning and then rising further by the end of the week, maybe 7, 8, even 9 by the end of the week. So uh, the calm after the storm at last. For now, that's the forecast. Uh, it's the first sale by Harrison and Hetherington at Newark next week. We uh, mentioned it on the programme last weekend. Hear it again on the podcast online if you want to find out more about it. And uh, fingers crossed, the sale goes well next Saturday. I hope your uh, farming week goes well as well, whatever you've got planned. Until next Sunday, have a good week.